Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. We all can't help but wonder what adventures lie just over the next ridge. A Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada will take you there. If you're taking on your adventure in a 2024 Nissan Rogue, class-exclusive Google built-in is always your updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Along with Assistant, Google Maps, and Google Play Store are all built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen infotainment system of the 2024 Nissan Rogue. Nissan's SUVs have the capabilities to take you where you want to go. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Got my Prevnar 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk? Get vaccinated. But, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar 20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar 20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. Before we begin this week's episode, please make sure to support the PXG podcast by clicking the Patreon link in the short notes. Once you click the link, you'll be able to see the different tiers and what comes with it. Shout out to my nigga Mel, my family for life, for becoming a supporter from Queens. Queens get the money. Thank y'all for holding me down. Oh, and don't forget to leave a five-star review if you're listening to this on your iPhone on the Apple Podcast app. So thank y'all for holding me down. And until next time, later. You are now listening to the professional Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of the PXG Podcast. This is your girl, Ebene, and as always, I am super excited about this week's episode. Um, Before we begin, you know the routine. Let's do a little housekeeping. Please make sure to follow me on Instagram at the Professional Homegirl, at the PXG Podcast, and last but not least, at Ebene Beauty. Please make sure to follow me on Twitter at T-H-E-P-H-G underscore. Make sure you show the website some love at www.thephgpodcast.com. And last but not least, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please make sure to email me at hello at thephgpodcast.com. Now, please keep in mind that all of my guests are anonymous, so let's begin this week's episode. So to my guests, how are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. 
Well, before we begin, I would like to say thank you so much for sharing your story on the PhD podcast. I know for a fact that your story would definitely inspire the listeners out there. So thank you so much. No, thank you for having me. Thank you. Um, so what do you think are some misconceptions about homeless people? Um, I think some of the biggest ones is that, for one, homeless people want to be homeless or that they got their way because they did something wrong, you know, like maybe they, they didn't work hard enough or they got like addicted to drugs or stuff. That's commonly people think that homeless people are there because they did something to put themselves there. And that's definitely not true at all. Mm. So I know that you are a veteran. Mm -hmm. How long did you serve our country? Um, About four years. Oh, wow. So how was it being a woman in the military? And the reason why I'm asking this question, because I read a lot of stories from women who served our country that still feel overlooked and unappreciated. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, For starters, there's not a lot of women in the military. So when you're in any area of life and it's overwhelmingly disproportionate, you know, we're surrounded by men. Naturally, the men make all the rules. They call the shots and they tend to not really focus on what women need. And because there's not a lot of us, when we voice our concerns or our opinions, it, you know, kind of pales in comparison to the men that are speaking up because we're outnumbered. So Uh honestly, being in the military, it it is quite difficult for a woman. And then not only that, but there's a lot of, you know, you know how like you feel there's a naturally a bias when in any profession, in any profession, there's going to be a bias where men, feel a certain type of way about women or if, mm-hmm. if a woman does something it's naturally because she's a woman you know if she speaks her mind she's being emotional or anything like that well it's like 10 times worse in the military so if you mm. open up about anything it's well it's just because you're a woman and that's why women shouldn't be here and things like that and then because there are still jobs in the military that women can't be in they use that as an excuse well that's why like what well, for one, infantry, um, they just opened that one up to women, I will say. Um, I think I want to say like within the past year or two, they have opened it up to women. But even still, them opening the door to women, I don't actually think there are any women yet who have gotten the job. Um, mm-hmm. And there's like a couple, it's mostly, mostly like the hands-on ones where their defense for not using women is that, well, a woman isn't strong enough or a woman's emotions may get in the way if it comes down to, you know, making a tough decision. And so it's a lot of pretty much implying that we can't do something because of the fact that we're women. Um, and then, and of course, like hygiene comes up a lot and it's, well, a woman can't, you know, sleep out in the tent for months at a time because she's going to have a cycle or something like that. Um, and so it's it's a lot of misconceptions simply based on our gender that we can't do something because we're women, because we're not strong enough, because our emotions are being the way. All kinds of things that we don't really get a say in. You know, we don't get to say whether or not we want to do it. It's simply told to us. So definitely being a woman in the military is, is very difficult. It And it kind of shows you how you're looked at, you know, by men who are supposed to be your equals, who you're supposed to be fight you know standing and fighting beside but in their eyes we're lesser than or we're weaker Mm. damn that sucks i can only imagine for a woman to move up within the ranks it's like oh (laughs) impossible absolutely absolutely. (laughs) even you know to this day there are still 
articles out everywhere where you'll see, you know, first woman doing this, first woman doing that. And it's like, it's 2020. Why, why is this now happening when we've been serving in the military, you know, since forever, you know, for years and years and years, but it's still even difficult for women to move up in the ranks. And even the women that do move up in the ranks, they're constantly disrespected and they're constantly having to work 10 times harder than our male counterparts. Mm. Why does it seem like there are a lot of veterans that are homeless? Again, that goes back to a lot of misconceptions and not even some of them aren't necessarily misconceptions because there are some veterans that do suffer from PTSD Mm -hmm. um, and they can't get the help they need. And then for the veterans that don't suffer from PTSD, a lot of employers assume they do, you know, it's, well, we don't want to take the risk because they may not be mentally stable. Um, those wow. are, yeah, that, that a lot of veterans tend to face. And crazy enough, that was actually told to me when I was getting out the military. And me, you know, being younger, I'm like, oh, I'm sure that's not going to be the problem. Americans love veterans. Yeah, that's definitely not the case. We're not wow. one like you would think. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so unfortunately, yeah, that, that definitely is a misconception that people who are in the military aren't mentally stable because, you know, of, of anything that could have happened. And crazy enough, sometimes there are people who serve in the military who never even went overseas or maybe never even fired a weapon. There are people who weren't even in for like a year. And even still, they face that bias of your, you must have experienced something while in the military that would cause you to be mentally unstable. And therefore we don't want to work with you. But are there not resources for veterans as soon as they get out of the uh, military? There are a few, and I will say some programs do try, but it's either a lack of funding or a lack of... That's crazy. Yeah, like um, even trying to schedule an appointment at a a VA hospital can take months um, just to get in there for a basic checkup. And it's, you know, they have like programs that help homeless veterans, for example. But each time I would reach out, it was, well, we're out of funding, we're out of funding, we're out of funding. So they, they try, but a lot of times the resources, there just isn't enough to cover all the veterans who need them. But we're not out of, out of enough people to send them to war. Right, yeah. <laughs> Crazy. So how long were you homeless? I was homeless for about six months, actually a little over six months. So I know that you moved a lot because I did my research on you. I see. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I can research anything. Uh, What made you decide to move to um, Charlotte? So I actually moved to Charlotte because at the time that I moved there, I was in a relationship. We had been in a relationship Mm -hmm. for about five years. And we actually moved there from Florida. And we were in South Florida, which is extremely expensive. And Mm -hmm. I had just found out I was pregnant. And I already had a toddler. So at that time, it was like, okay, let's make a decision. Living down here trying to get a space for, you know, already three of us was difficult, but now there's going to be four of us. It, it was just, it was way too expensive. So while in the military, we had actually visited Charlotte a few times and we liked it. And we knew that that was likely going to be somewhere that we wanted to live anyway. So we ended up moving at that time since I found out that I was pregnant. Wait, so you was with the, your partner was with you during this whole time? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, okay. The plot thick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me go to my next question then. <laughs> so you say you spent six months perfecting the art of being homeless. So what did you do during that time? So when I say perfecting the art, that is such a literal sense. Like it literally yeah. took practice. So it was 
you know, because some people when they say they're homeless, it's usually I'm staying with a friend or family, but it's not my home. So, you know, and technically that is considered homeless. If you're staying somewhere that's not yours and you have to like abide by someone else's rules or anything like that, that is technically considered homeless. But in this instance, it wasn't even, it was more we're sleeping in car type homeless. So mm-hmm. it's, we had to pretty much find somewhere to shower every day, find somewhere to eat every day. So it was originally starting off with, sleeping at like a gas station or outside of a restaurant but then the issue would come up with they would close at 10 or 11 and now here it is two o'clock in the morning I got to use the bathroom you know I don't have anywhere to go mm-hmm. and at the time I was also in school and and I was pregnant and it was summertime so it's mm-hmm. like okay I'm pregnant it's summer it's really really hot I can't go to school every day smelling like I'm sleeping outside and it right. was finding somewhere to shower and it was trying to go to gyms, trying to go to the YMCA and then, you know, getting off in time to make it to another shelter that could feed us before they closed so that my son could eat, finding places where we could get free diapers so that we could, you know, make sure that he was in. So it was literally it, it took time to figure out how we could pretty much survive and maintain a lifestyle while also sleeping on the streets. So what made you decide to stay in a shelter? So I actually never made it to the shelter. Um, I, I mm-hmm. went to the shelter and, and mainly it was because of my children. But there was also an instance where we were sleeping outside the YMCA and it was the middle of the night and the police arrived. And honestly, I was mm. terrified that they were going to take my children. And they didn't. They ended up not taking our kids. Um, they actually tried to help as well. They called around shelters um, and pretty much was told the same thing that we had already been told that there was no room for us. But it was, I was like, okay, we have to have a roof over our head. Um, But not only that, it was, you know, that way it's not a, okay, we're sleeping in a car because it was very uncomfortable. And my son was supposed to sleep in his car seat. Naturally, he's a kid. He doesn't want to sleep in a car seat. So then I'm ended up holding my son while I'm, you know, six, seven, eight months pregnant. It was like, okay, we we need somewhere to lay our head. But we went to the shelters, it's specifically, specifically the Salvation Army, over and over and over and over again. And each time I got there, it was, we don't have anything available. I feel like the lady that was helping you, it's like she wanted to help you, but she didn't want to help you. I think you. she wanted to. I, I, and all honestly, I think what it was, she looked a little maybe overworked and frustrated. Not frustrated with me, but that mm. she handled a lot of... That, that shelter was extremely crowded. I will say that Charlotte has a very high homeless population, and which mm. is why, you know, every time we went there, there was nothing available. But she honestly seemed like she was overworked. And so I think she wanted to help, you know, as best as she could. But at the same time, it's okay. We have 100 people in here asking for help. And, I, you know, we don't have the resources to help all of them. Because honestly, they all kind of seemed like they were overworked and just tired of it. Right. What is the process like? Because can they turn you away, especially since you was with child and you had a child? Yeah. The I walked in there every single day, pregnant and holding my the hand of my two year old, asked them if they had a bed, and every single time it was nope. You can try again tomorrow, and that was it. Wow. Um, one part of your story that really made me kind of just tear up on like several different levels because you said you shared a story about your son and a mm-hmm. cookie with this other little boy. And I just thought that story was just, like, so sad. Yeah, honestly, a lot of people say that they tear up at that part. And I, I, yes. cried, I, I cried that day. Um, 
it, it was it was definitely very hard to see, you know, because we at that time we had already been homeless for a few months and my mm-hmm. son was just really happy to have a cookie and then to see that taken away from him and I couldn't do anything about it. I, I couldn't stop it. There, you know, there's there was literally nothing I could do and to see the little bit of joy that my son had on his face just taken away from him, it, it broke me. It really did. And it got taken away from him from another little right. kid. And, and then at that point, again, there, there's nothing I can do, especially because this other little boy's in the shelter. So I don't know what this little boy is also going through. And, you know, I can't say anything to a child. You know, he, he wasn't, he was a little bit right. older. And his mom, I don't even know where she was. So, <laughs> and, <laughs> I mean, you know, we're, we're in the shelter. Who knows? I don't know where she was or who she was. There was just a little boy staring at me and frankly he looked a little angry which only told me that because <laughs> <laughs> he wanted that I damn cookie like, he wanted that cookie bad enough to try to steal it from my son so oh man but I think with that story not only did because you said something to the effect of you saw the pain in your son's face for not having his own but you also saw the pain and the struggle that influenced the other kid which kind of aged him and I was like damn that's so true because you see young kids or young adults and they be like 10 or 15 but they look like they 30 this little boy he was not that old if all in all honestly he was maybe he was somewhere between the ages of four and eight and honestly i can't pinpoint it because of the fact that he probably was aged by him by his circumstances you know but like i said the the look on his face was that of anger which naturally someone that young all of that anger also came from pain you know maybe his little maybe his cookie had been stolen but about 20 times you know my son was only there for a day and had his you know taken from him so who knows how many times this little boy had his taken from him so it was you know in that moment it's like what can I do I I can't even say anything to this little boy because he's also been affected by the circumstances that he's in right were you afraid that being homeless was going to affect your child's mentality like break his spirit yeah every single day it it was definitely a concern of mine I, I and even you know trying to take him out every single time my son would cry about something regardless of what it was in the back of my mind I was wondering if he was really just unhappy about the circumstances that we were in mm-hmm. so while being homeless you gave birth to your younger yes. child did you experience any pregnancy complications um I did. I, I actually almost died um, mm-hmm. while at the hospital. There, I had the C-section. Um, they sent me home three days later. And I'm not sure. Honestly, I don't know what it was. I don't know if we could chalk it up to being homeless. But somehow I caught... I know that the hospital left pieces of the placenta inside of me. Mm. But by the time I made it back to the hospital, I had an infection. And one of the other things that definitely contributed because of the homelessness was that it took me a while to even get back to the hospital because of the fact that I had my son and his dad and it was okay what do we do with our children what do I you know I now have a newborn at home plus a toddler what's going to happen if they have to admit me back into the hospital where are the kids going to go you know things like that so by the time I actually got back to the hospital the infection had progressed drastically and they had to do an emergency surgery and go back in and cut me back open and Mm. right and because we were homeless and we didn't know anyone there my children's dad took them and so I was left in the hospital by myself as a doctor is standing over me pretty much 
listing out all the things that could possibly happen due to them having to do this emergency, you know, surgery again, and that they were going to have to put me out and that I wouldn't even be able to breathe. So they were going to have to put a tube down my throat so that I would be able to breathe, Mm. you know, not die because that's how, that's how sedated I was going to be that my body wasn't even going to be able to breathe on its own. So I literally just bust out crying. I was like, you know, if things weren't worse, like this is now, this is just the icing on the cake. Like I've literally thought that I was dying in that hospital. And I feel like with this part, a lot of people can relate to, and that's why uh, people within our community don't want to take their sick days and shit because they feel like, What's going to happen if I take a day off or if I go to the hospital and something right. wants to happen? So when you was like, you felt the panic began to soak in, I was like, yo, that is so real. Because if you don't have anything else nobody else turns to, like, exactly, what do you do? Exactly. It was, and, and honestly, before even going to the hospital, I had posted on social media. I had reached out to my doctor. There is a, um, the hospital there has this online thing where you can like message doctors online. And I had reached out to my doctors multiple times. None of them had gotten back to me. So it was like going to the hospital was literally a last resort to me. I was like, there has to be something else I can do. Like going to the hospital is just not an option right now. It was just, it was very difficult. So. And another thing is, cause we hear so many stories about black mm-hmm. women dying due to the lack of being treated properly while being pregnant. And you had to literally argue with the nurse for her to right. run a she test on you. She kept trying to tell me that because I had just had a baby, that's why I bleeding so much and right. I tried to tell her like ma'am this isn't my first child you know and this amount of blood is not a normal amount you know this even someone who hadn't had a kid if this much blood coming out of anyone isn't good like you know I'm literally telling her I'm like I was laying in the bed literally freezing so I'm under all kinds of blankets but then also sweating like I had a fever over 105 sweating and still freezing at the same time anyone should be able to know that something is not right there but right. Was, <laughs> and then you said when you stood up, a gallon yep, of blood and, came and out. For some reason, she, it took Ooh, hours. And literally, I had actually gotten undressed and she finally decided to run the test. And then when we came back to the room from the test, she actually told me to go ahead and get dressed. She's like, go ahead and get dressed because as soon as the results come back, we can discharge you because she was just so sure in her head that when the results came back, it was going to show nothing was wrong. So I'd actually put all my clothes back on when she came in the room and was like, okay, never mind. Something did come up when we, you know. I bet. I bet. <laughs> I'm just sweating and freezing <laughs> at the same time for no reason. <laughs> Yo, people yep. are crazy, man. <laughs> so while you was homeless, did you look at your, your partner differently? Because I can only imagine how it felt for you to be homeless with your kids but to also be ho- homeless with your yeah, kids honestly, and your I partner. Say, I did. Um, I, I definitely did. In fact, that we, we ended up separating during that time. That kind of played a factor into it, but that, that definitely was a big one. You know, it's we're sleeping in a car at this point with our children. This is not the life that I want to give them, you know? So it, it, right. definitely, it definitely did make me look at a lot of things differently. Not not just him, but life in general. I just looked at it completely differently. Like, what was some of the other things you um, looked at? For one, it was, you know, kind of what led up to this. Because before that, I was bringing in between four to $5,000 a month in income. And maybe not handling my finances properly because you know there are people out here who don't make that much and who are living comfortably but it's like I made that much thinking that 
life would never get worse. And then it did, you know, and not even just mm-hmm. that, it was before, before becoming homeless, I was, you know, in the military, I had owned businesses, I had good income, I had, you know, all, I was in a good, I was in a relationship that I had been in for five years. And in my mind, everything was good, you know, and then one day it just wasn't. So it was like, clearly planning for the future is important. And then only that, I didn't realize how my decisions could put my children in such a bad position. And again, that was something that I never mm-hmm. wanted to happen again. So now I'm like constantly trying to make sure that my children will always be okay, particularly not just, you know, physically, but mentally, because it was draining. It was extremely, extremely draining. And my son ended up being very delayed because of it. And for a lot of reasons, actually, because of the fact mm-hmm. that, you know, they already say that when you have a toddler and then a sibling comes into the picture, it kind of causes the child to digress they go back a little bit you know and that happened but then also me and his dad you know separated and then we moved around a lot we were sleeping outside we were eating at shelters all of that caused my son to not start speaking until he was over older than three and even at the age of four Mm. my son wasn't potty trained because he had just been through so much and you know it's like okay you know, this little six months played such a huge, had a, such a huge impact on my son that even a year later, he still can't speak. He's still not potty trained, you know? So it, it was like, okay, clearly this is not a good situation that needs to ever happen again. What was the turning point from you making a certain amount of money to be a homeless? Like what turn? Cause I feel like a lot of people think, like you said, with the misconceptions, people think that, oh, they just want to be homeless, but Something like what happened was within that time frame? The move to Charlotte. Um, when we got to Charlotte, we were good. The issue was that in between or during my pregnancy, I stopped being able to work because I was pregnant. And then mm. by the time the homelessness came, no one would hire me because I was so pregnant. You know, imagine a and, and you know it is and that's messed up. yes it's illegal but i mean let's be realistic if a woman walks into an office six months pregnant no one's gonna hire her because they're like she's gonna leave in three months she's clearly about to have a baby she's obviously mm-hmm. not gonna have a baby here and then only that but they're like okay she's a health risk what happens if something happens to her while she's here so you know they they would make up excuses as to why they would they weren't gonna hire me i remember i walked into one place and they asked me if i could they specifically looked at me while asking questions and they were like, can you lift 75 pounds? And I'm looking at them like, you know, I can't lift 75 pounds. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm six months pregnant, but I knew they were specifically asking that question oh, so that they could disqualify me from being hired without saying it was because I was pregnant. Wow. Yeah, jobs are whack, man. I'm telling you. You know I can't exactly. lift 75 pounds with this belly on me. What are you talking <laughs> exactly. about? So let's talk about the transition from being homeless to getting your job. Tell us about your job interview and remind y'all, she went to the job interview oh the God, day after her surgery. Honestly, the craziest day of my life. So first of all, I was still walking, yeah. walked in there. And so I remember thinking to myself, I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I pray that this person interviewing me does not realize that I can barely walk right now, you know? Uh, so I, I'm like wobbling in there. I'm sitting down, and I'm, and then not only that, but at the time I was still homeless. So I'm like feeling like when, when you're homeless, your self esteem is pretty much gone. So I'm like, I probably look horrible. Right. I'm walking. 
walking in here wobbling because I just had surgery. I'm in pain. I hope I can even think straight to answer these questions. And it was just, it was really crazy. <laughs> Luckily, I went in there and the guy who hired me was honestly, he was absolutely amazing. He made me feel so comfortable. And I, I did end up getting the job, but at the time I was just so nervous. There was so much going through my mind and I just knew that I was about to like botch that job interview. I was like, this is not going to go well at all. <laughs> well, the only thing that did bother you was the fact that training was unpaid yeah, so for for three when days. They hired me. They're like, you, it was an insurance job, but in order to work there, you had to have an insurance license. So technically, they couldn't pay you for the training if you didn't have a license because you weren't even eligible to be working there without the license. So they did provide the training mm-hmm. to get your license, but it had to be unpaid. So it was like, okay, now do I take this risk and drive to this training that's on the other side of the city for three days with no money? So I'm like, we're going to be sitting there all day and I'm not going to have anything to eat, even though I just had a baby two weeks ago. I'm going to be, you know, tired again because I just had a baby. Like, And and now, you know, mm, my, right. my, one of my biggest worries was that I'm going to go to this training and what if I don't pass? Now I've just spent three days sitting here not getting paid and I'm going to have to start this job search all over again, you know? So it was, oh my gosh, it was scary. And then not only that, but the training actually ended up being longer than three days because after the second day, a tornado came. Yes. I know. I said, yo, when it rains, it pours. A a freaking hurricane hit Charlotte, North Carolina, and it took, it added three to four extra days onto the training. So it actually ended up being like a week before I finished the training. And again, I was like, man, she can't catch a break. (laughs) I was like, Jesus Christ. Wait, where were the kids at? Did you yeah, have like he, did your partner have the kids, the kids when you were going uh, for the job? Which was a struggle also in itself, but <laughs> because he when mm-hmm, our oldest right. was born, he wasn't there for the newborn stage. So now I have this baby that's literally two weeks old that I'm breastfeeding as well. And I'm like, okay, here, take care of this mm. baby for eight hours while I go to class. And oh my, he was like, he was just going through right. it. <laughs> So did you not have a support system that you could rely on? I didn't have any family whatsoever in North Carolina at all. Um, And then the the little bit of family that Mm -hmm. I do have, I really only talked to about a couple members of my family, but I did not feel comfortable telling them the circumstances that we were in. For one, I knew that they were going to require that I move out of North Carolina. And at the time, that wasn't what I wanted to do. I was like, I'm trying to, to do something for myself. I'm trying to make this work, you know? And not only that, but there, during the time that we were homeless, there, we actually had to sell our cell phones for gas money. And yeah, so we actually oh, had wow. no means of communication. And that was one of the things that scared me while I was in the hospital, because I had no way to reach out to anyone to even tell them that I was in the hospital. I knew that I was going to die. And no, one was right. like, no, that was, that was really what hit me. I was like, I'm going to die here. Nobody <laughs> knows I'm here. And like I said, my partner had the kids, so he wasn't even at the hospital. So I was like, uh, like he might come back two days from now. And then I'm like, oh, sorry, sir. She's gone. We didn't know how to reach you, you know? So it, I was right. like, oh, no means of communication whatsoever. The only way I could communicate was with my sister whenever I was on Facebook, but I had to go to the library to do that. And, you know, naturally, I couldn't always make it to the library. We had other things going on. So 
I, I actually had no means right. to communicate with anyone. Um, one of the things that I loved about your story is that uh, you didn't have a home, but you knew things were beginning to turn yes. around for oh you because gosh. you got so- the job. And I was so happy for you. I was like, yes, girl. <laughs> I was like, Jesus Christ, give her a break. <laughs> no, because you know what it is? When you're back, because my back been against the wall many times, so I know that feeling when you feel like you just cannot catch a break. And it's like, all you can do is just cry, but then you get so tired of yeah, crying, absolutely. but it's like, you ain't yeah, got nothing else to do. Was definitely the highlight of that entire year. Um, it was a great job. I honestly, I love that job. I, I still think back to that job, particularly to the guy who hired me. Um, I, I think about him. He, he was, and I don't, he doesn't an angel. realize to what extent that he saved my life, you know? Um, but yeah, that that definitely was a, t- a huge turning point, and I'm so grateful for it. And I think back on that because I'm like, had that not happened, who knows where I would be at right now? And a few months later, you signed the lease to your townhouse, right? And I signed the lease in November, November 1st, actually. And it was right down the street from the job I had just started. So that was even, that was great. <laughs> But, you know, it only took me about six right. weeks to finally, you know, stop being homeless and to get a place. With, you know, some people are like, six weeks, that's a long time. But when you've been living in the streets for five months, it was like, no. I yeah. <laughs> nah. Um, looking back and talking about your journey, um, you endured so many hardships. So how were you able to stay motivated um, and to keep was, going? Some days it was not motivation there. It was not at all. Um, but at the same time, I didn't really have a choice. You know, I, you can't give up when you're holding a newborn in one hand and a two-year-old in another hand. Um, it's just, it, it's not possible. And not mm-hmm. only that, but I was in so much discomfort. Being homeless is literally, it felt like rock bottom. Um, there, I had, my self-esteem was gone. My self-worth was gone. All of that was gone. And I knew that I couldn't go on like that forever. I was like, this this can't be my be all end all. Like I, I have to do something. So at that point it was a I had no choice, you know. I, I really even when I wasn't motivated, I had no choice but to get up and try something every single day until something happened. So I'm really big on mental health. So once you got the townhouse and you started to like become more of yourself, like what were some things that you did to get you um, back in the spirit of being you? Honestly, for one, just getting it itself made me feel good. And I, because I, mm-hmm. I'd gone from a point from waking up in a car to waking up in a home that I had provided. By that time too, me and my partner had broke up. We actually separated right after my newborn was born. So when I moved in there, it was just me and my kids. And I was like, look what I did, you know? And not only that, <laughs> absolutely. I know he hated that. Um, but <laughs> I had also been with him since I was 19 years old. So this was actually my like first time really out on my own and with two kids. So it was like, okay, you know what? 
Mm. Look what I just did, you know? At that point, I felt like I was invincible. I was like, I, was like, I literally went from waking up in the car, <laughs> uncomfortable, in pain, miserable, depressed, contemplating suicide, to waking up in my own home, going to work with this great job, you know, having friends. And then the guy who hired me was my manager, so that made it even better. Uh, because, you know, in my eyes, I'm like, this man has mm-hmm. literally just helped me. This man has literally saved my life. And, you know, now I'm reporting to him every day. So combine that with, I started exercising more, um, you know, eating better. And then I started working on my own businesses, you know, my entrepreneurship, because like I said, I had been doing it before, Mm -hmm. but naturally when you're homeless, you don't want to leave anything to chance. You know, it's a, I I can't take the chance of that happening Mm. again, because now I know that it's a possibility. I know that no matter how much income I'm bringing in, it is a possibility that they can be gone in a minute, you know? So it was, then at that point, just mm-hmm. working on myself, working to build things up and to have stability. Stability alone does a huge improvement on your mental health as opposed to having literally nowhere to call mm. your own, nowhere to lay your head. Nothing belongs to you. When you are a human being on this earth and nothing belongs to you, it's one of the worst feelings in the world. There is nothing that you can call your own. So when you finally yeah. get something like that, that automatically is going to boost your mental health. What are some ways that our listeners can give back to help those that are homeless? Um, People can, it's definitely going to be a Mm -hmm. lot easier for people living on the street to be able to, to get more things accomplished when they're not treated like they're scum of the earth or like they put themselves there, you know? So for starters, treat them like they're people. Um, and then just donate as much as you can. When you have those old clothes that you're getting ready to throw in the trash, take them to a homeless shelter. Actually, I got a lot of clothes donated to me when I was homeless when I had first started that job. Because, you know, I, I didn't have any clothes. I'm sleeping on the street. And so people donated clothes to me. And that made such a huge impact because I didn't have to show up at work every day looking like I was homeless. And therefore, no one at my job knew that I was homeless. Mm. That made a difference. Yeah, it, it really did. So when people wow. are getting ready to throw away clothes or to throw away food or really get rid of anything, just consider donating it. Donate it to a shelter. Donate it to an organization. Or even if you just know someone on the homeless that's homeless, you see people on the street, drop it off to them. They may not even act like they appreciate it in that moment because it can hurt your self-esteem when people are giving you, pre- you know, practically their trash. Because obviously if you're going to throw it away, to you it's trash. So they may be like, wow, this is so demeaning. But it's it still is going to help them. So do it anyway. You know, they may not even show appreciation, but just know that it's not that they don't appreciate it. It's because of their circumstances that they're in and their self-worth is totally gone at that point. All right. Um, now that you are a successful entrepreneur and I read that your business is bringing in <laughs> five figures a month, I was like, yes. <laughs> Uh, what is some advice you would give to those who feel um, like they've been at the bottom for going. so long? You know, I think a lot of people get in the mindset that they need a lucky break that, you know, oh, an opportunity has to come to me. But that's not it. You can create an opportunity if you just keep going, even if you hear no after no after no. If anything, when you're at the bottom, that's the best time to hear no's because you are you don't have anything else to lose. Like you, you literally just need a yes mm, and you're not going down there anymore. You know, it's the, the people who are in the middle should be the ones who are more afraid because they're like, I actually have something to lose. When you're at the bottom, you don't have anything. To lose. Right. Exactly. Right. 
She ain't got nothing to lose. And never, ever, ever, and this is for anyone, whether, you know, you're struggling or not. If you want something, never wait for opportunity to present itself. You can make whatever opportunity you want. If you Mm. want to write a book and you're waiting for something to happen, don't. Just start writing. If you want a particular job and you're waiting for an opportunity, don't. Start, you know, reading. Do some research. Go and apply for those jobs that you don't think you're going to get. I actually read somewhere once. Somebody told me that. They apply for every single position on Indeed, whether they're qualified for it or not, you know, and that may sound funny, but you never know mm-hmm. who's going to look that over. You never know if you put yourself out there, you That's never know it's going to be presented to you. But if you're instead sitting and waiting for something to happen, no one's going to find you. You have to put yourself out there just for those opportunities to come. That's a fact. Okay, one more question. When are you coming out with this book? Because I feel like your story is just so inspirational. So we got to get this story out to the masses. And I'm an avid reader. And we got to get this book popping. So when are we coming out with this book? So much so that I'm actually releasing a book mm-hmm. in July that is not my autobiography. <laughs> um, Why are you not coming up with the autobiography for first? One, it's just, honestly, this is my baby. It is my heart and soul. It is so much into it that I want to put as much into it as possible. And not only that, but there are actually a lot of plans in the work for this autobiography. And I know that it's going to take time by plans. I'm meaning documentaries, you know, movies. Yeah. It's because I I want to be Mm. able to reach as many people as possible. Um, So a lot, a lot of work is going into this autobiography, Mm -hmm. but it's definitely coming. It's just when I tell you I am putting my blood, sweat, and tears into this book, um, that's a, it's definitely going to be noticed. Once it does come out, everyone will know exactly what all went into creating this book because you'll be able to see it, you'll be able to read it, and you'll be able to feel everything that I put into it. And before we leave, I just want to say happy Memorial Day to my listeners and especially to my guests. Thank you so much for serving our country. And I really appreciate your story because I, when I read your story, I was inspired. I was like, wow, like for you to, right. it's one thing to do it by yourself, but to do it with two babies is, is unmatched. So if y'all have any questions, comments, or concerns for my guests, please reach out to me at hello at the phdpodcast.com. Until next time, everyone. Later. Got my Prevnar 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk? Get vaccinated. But but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar 20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar 20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. 
Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Head in store and shop for all your favorite personal care essentials to earn four times rewards points. Shop for products from Olay, Always, Gillette, Vicks, and Crest. Plus, check out new items like Mr. Clean Magic Eraser Ultra Thick Multi-Surface Cleaner. No more sponges or other cleaning products needed. And Head & Shoulders Bare Soothing Hydration Shampoo, a new kind of anti-dandruff shampoo with only nine ingredients. Offer expires March 26th. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details.